Hello, and welcome to the Era Without a Hero podcast. My name is David Wayne Nystrom, and I am the narrator and author of the story. First off, a couple quick announcements. I need to give very special thanks to a couple of people who helped me create the song that you'll hear at the end of this week's episode. Um, la- I think it was last week, I debuted the Era Without a Hero theme music, the title theme. And immediately after that, I started working on a piece for this episode specifically. Um, and I sent out a couple tweets you know, saying, hey, I'm struggling with this because I didn't like what I was hearing. Um, and I got some really good feedback from a couple people over on Twitter. Uh, Alden Papritz, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Forgive me if I'm not. Uh, and then also uh, Major Link Sean, um, who is Major Link over on YouTube and creates some really incredible animations. Um, anyways, they gave me some good feedback and it really helped um, create the song that you heard at the end of the episode. So special thanks to them. Next, overall, I want to hear what you think of the music so far. Um, there, So far, there have been three tracks created by me for this podcast. The, the main theme, which you'll hear right after this announcement. Uh, the, what I'm going to call, emotional theme at the end of this episode. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, there was the Zelda Zolabai remix that I put at the beginning that was supposed to be kind of creepy and off-putting and I really loved, but I'd love to know what you all think. So let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm over there at DaveWayne09. Um, next, I want to talk about last week's episode real quick. Um, this is sort of a previously on as well as just a little behind-the-scenes info. Um as some of you might know, when I originally wrote this story, I had planned it as a video game. It came out of a conversation, what would your ideal Zelda game look like? And I said, well, it would have this, 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 this. And then I decided to make the game. And I wrote, I filled three notebooks full of cool info and I'll, you know, that'll all be, that'll come out over time. But, um, over on the website. But the, the, some of those elements are still in the story today as it has been rewritten and reformed and gone through so many changes over the years. Anyways, one of the first things was a tutorial level. Every Zelda game pretty much has some sort of tutorial. It has, you know, hey, this is how you use your sword. That's actually where part of the Swordsman tournament from last week came from. The idea of, hey, you're going to go out there and fight some barrels. That idea, still there. And that was where that came from. So if you, when you were listening to it, if you could imagine holding a controller and running through this you know uh, this dusty arena and busting up barrels like Osmond was trying to face off against the timer where you had to beat a certain time that's exactly what it was meant to feel like um so I hope I hope that kind of went through and if it didn't maybe you can go back and listen to it and hear that now and feel that now and maybe you'll think that's kind of cool um but yeah, so previously on The Arrow Without a Hero, we saw Osmond compete in the Swordsman Tournament. He fought some barrels, he destroyed some barrels really fast, and he advanced to the knockout round where it pitted him against this mysterious character, Adok of the West. Uh, so Ralphine also advanced in the other semifinal, but um, when it was time for Osmond and Adok to face off, some drastic stuff happened. Adok threw off his cloak, started making accusations at the royal family, and attacked. And that's where we pick up this week's episode, as we get to see 
it talks assault. So without further ado, here is The Arrow Without a Hero, Chapter 4, Adox Assault. There was a heavy ringing in Osman's ears that made him hesitate as he climbed to his feet. He pushed the tip of his sword into the ground and heaved himself up to his knees, coughing as the cloud of dust enveloped him. On your feet, lad, a voice said as a hand grabbed hold of his shoulder. Sir Ralphine, drop the formality, son. Now is the time to fight. He drew his sword and swung it at an obscure dark figure. A vicious growl shook Osman from his daze, just in time to pull his sword up and deflect a spear that had been thrust his way. As he stumbled a bit from the blow, Osman looked up into the heaving and grimy chest of a moblin. Doc Osmond! Instinctively, Osman dropped back to a single knee just as Aldwin's cane came in above his head and struck the moblin. Ralphine then followed up with a rapid swipe of his rapier that slashed the monster's gut open. Did you see where the captain went? Alduin asked quickly. No, but it's likely he went to get the royal family to safety, Ralphine responded, sheathing his blade as the moblin dissolved into a black and purple mist. We'd best do the same. Come on. Alduin began to move towards the site of the destruction encouraging the others to follow as well. Osman shook his head, trying to shake the dizziness off, 
then trotted after his mentor towards the wreckage. He stumbled to a sudden stop, though, as he looked at the ground. It was split open, revealing a large ravine of laboring, shadowy figures fighting each other as they climbed upward. Come on, Osmond. Best not let your eyes linger on the dark realm like that. Ralphine tugged Osmond's arm. A moment later, the three of them climbed over the border of the arena and into the crumbling stands. Just outside the stadium, homes and shops were engulfed in flames that seared the air and made it difficult to breathe. A small gathering of soldiers drew Alduin's attention, and he pivoted in their direction. Lieutenant, is the royal family safe? I thought I saw the sage of water guiding them down the street. Oh, watch out! Stone, breaking free from the top of the stadium, tumbled its way downward and crashed into one of the houses. Flames erupted from the windows and the corners of the building, buckled, before the walls crumbled in on themselves. There were screams from somewhere in the chaos that carried above the crackling sounds of the burning castle town. Rally your men and see to the safety of the civilians. Ralphine stepped up. Once you've done that, double back to the square. That's where they should be headed. Yes, sir. Osmond felt Aldwin tug on his shoulder, and the trio were again on the move. Down an alleyway that hadn't yet been swallowed up by flames, they moved quickly. Aldwin skidded to a stop, though, when their way became blocked by a swarm of black entities. Bows. Not much trouble individually, but in a group they're vicious. We'll have to go another way, then, Ralphine said, drawing his sword. Hold on. Alwyn held out a hand. He raised his cane up and pointed it at the swarm. Closing his eyes, he began to mutter something softly, and the end of his cane started to glow. A moment later, a burst of golden light shot from the cane's tip, cutting a path in the sea of dark enemies. Move! Further encouragement was not needed. At the end of the alley, they burst onto a street that would ultimately lead them back to the main city square. In their way, though, stood a swarm of monsters from the darkest corners of Hyrule. There's too many. Well, I just have to go around. Alduin pointed his cane across the street. Just when they started moving, though, a powerful gust of wind rushed out from the alley they were headed towards. A large moblin came flying out of it next slamming violently into one of the buildings. Uh A triumphant and booming laugh bellowed as the gust of wind died out. Huron, the Sage of Fire, stepped out onto the street, with the Kokiri Sage of Wind perched on his shoulder. Lord Huron, Lord Fatu! Ralphine jogged up to the Goron with a grin on his face. Sir Ralphine, I should have known you'd fight your way out here. <laughs> Huron slapped his giant hand on Ralphine's back, nearly knocking the knight over. I look, it's the local boy. Fado leapt up and pointed to Osmond. Watch out! Osmond pointed at the sky. Above them, a piece of stone had been hurled from down the street and was bounding their way. Huron's face darkened, but he grinned and jumped into the air with the fist pulled back. When he swung it, it seemed to almost catch fire. The rock exploded in a burst of light before falling harmlessly to the ground, along with the very proud Huron.
We were planning to head back towards the castle to help defend the royal family, but it seems to be blocked. Any suggestions? Aldwin asked. These guys? Uh, check this out. Huron winked and put two fingers to his mouth. He blew hard, sending out a loud, attention-getting whistle. Lord Huron? Ralphine glared up at the Goron. A large mass of the monsters had turned and looked curiously at them. Ralphine, Osmond, and Aldwin all readied themselves, but Huron and Fado seemed unfazed and unalarmed. Here they come, Aldwin said. Several of the faster and smaller Bokoblins drew their rusty blades and began charging forward. Some of the Moblins began moving their way next. Soon, it was an earth-shaking stampede that was thundering their way. Osmond felt his heart racing. Then, there came an ear-piercing shriek from above, followed by a blast of golden light that incinerated nearly every monster between them and the castle square. Quit fooling around and find the princess. Yes, sir, Lord Kalia. Fado waved a hand up and saluted the great owl overhead as he soared away. The princess is in danger? Alduin stepped forward. Huron nodded. Seems in the chaos, she got separated from the evacuation party. She could be pinned down by a horde. We'll offer our assistance, Ralphine said. Figure no less of you. <laughs> Huron smiled. We just came from over there. Fan out down these side streets and we'll regroup at the old city gate. He and Fado began bounding away. Alduin and Ralphine began advancing up the street and checked down the first few. Osmond, Alduin called his protege over. My ankle isn't going to hold up through all this running. You head down to the end of these alleyways and check the far end. I'll stay back and make sure nothing comes down after you. Sure. Osmond moved and began checking down the first of the streets. As he moved through the alley, he checked behind barrels and under crates, suspecting the princess would have hidden herself. After the first two streets proved empty, he and Alduin moved up to one closer to the castle. In the third street, Osmond found a boy and his mother hiding in the back of a wagon. It's okay. Get to the castle. There's soldiers all over that can help. As he was helping them from the wagon, though, a group of Bokoblins burst into the street from a nearby storeway. Run! Osmond commanded the family. He drew his sword and charged the small green and red monsters. The first one fell right away, as did the second and third one. The fourth one managed to catch Osmond's shoulder with his rusty dagger, but he paid the price for it soon after. With a small group of monsters dispatched, he jogged back to Alduin, and they moved up another street. They were about halfway up the street to the old city gate when they heard it. A young girl scream. Zelda! Daphnis shouted over the noise. I'm here, his wife called back. I'm all right, too the princess said from above. She had actually managed to grab hold of the ledge as the ground below had given way. Get to Lady Impa. She can get us to safety with the soldiers. Zelda heard her father, but she could see him, the man that had suddenly ambushed them, 
the man that had made her family look weak. Father, I have a shot. Toss me a bow. Don't be absurd. Get down. There was a heavy crashing sound as more of the stadium collapsed. Zelda hopped away, remaining on the upper level of the stands, but below, all she could see was darkness. Adok's attack had ripped the earth in two, and from the dark center, vines of malice were slithering out. Monsters began to spawn from its energy within minutes. The stadium would be overrun. Zelda looked down, where she'd heard the voice of her father, but all she could see was darkness and flames. A spear emerged from the fires, along with a massive moblin. She scrambled to her feet and began running. She reached the main floor and stumbled her way across the arena. If I can get to the swordsman armory, I know I'll find a weapon. A moment later, Zelda entered the tent where the swordsmen had gathered before their matches. To her good fortune, she found a small, short sword, a bow, and seven arrows. She slung the bow over her shoulder and charged back into the arena. When she got there, Adok was gone. She looked around in desperation and caught a glimpse of him floating towards the castle. Just when she took off, though, something grabbed her ankle. Horror flooded her as the bony fingers of a stall child wrapped around and began to pull her into the pool of darkness. Zelda fell to the ground, but grasped the handle of the short sword and clumsily swung it at the undead monster. Her first swing missed, but the second struck the monster's skull and shattered it. With her ankle free, Zelda got back up and charged out of the arena. The street was no less chaotic than the inside of the arena had been. Families were running around trying to find each other. Civilians were fending off monsters as best they could, and the soldiers were being overwhelmed. Fires raged on the thatched roofs, burning everything and blotting out the moon overhead. In the distance, through the thick clouds of smoke, Zelda could see Hyrule Castle, where she knew she had to get. She began up the main street, but was forced off when a walkway overhead collapsed and blocked her path. Cutting down a side street, she emerged in a residential area that hadn't been overtaken by the fires yet. Help me! A small voice crawled out. Zelda turned and looked back towards the Colosseum. An overturned cart, weighed down by its contents and an injured horse, had pinned a young boy under its siding. Zelda raced down the street and cut the sighting free with one of the arrows she had. Are you hurt? She asked, helping him to his feet. I don't know. He whimpered as he tried to take a step. Zelda looked down and knew the boy wouldn't be able to run. His ankle had already turned black and purple from the wreckage. She slid an arm around his back and hoisted his other arm up over her, and they began to move back up the street towards the castle. Their feet froze when a horrible screech erupted from behind them. As Zelda turned her head to look back, a jagged sword pierced the cart and lifted the wreckage into the air before ripping it in half. The skeletal being, armed with a round shield, a horned helmet, and the bronze blade thrust its arms out to its side and roared with a scream from beyond the grave. Its red eyes narrowed their gaze on the princess and the boy. It pointed its sword at them. Then it began charging. Zelda lifted the boy and began to run as well, but she tripped. 
the boy tumbled out of her arms and the Stalfos appeared right behind her. All she could do was fight. Zelda slid the bow off her shoulder and knocked an arrow into it as she rolled onto her back. She pulled back and took careful aim, then let the arrow fly. The shot was successful and took the monster's head clean off, which then caused the body to stumble and fall. Yes! She got up and raced over to the boy, who seemed to be okay. She slung the bow over her shoulder again and began to hoist the boy back up onto her shoulders when she noticed him suddenly go pale. What's wrong? The bone-chilling scream of the Stalfos bellowed out again. Zelda turned around just in time to see the monster readjusting its head with a snap and starting towards them again. Fear paralyzed every muscle in Zelda's body. All she could do was manage a desperate cry for help. Hurry, Alduin said, turning and limping onward. He and Osman burst out onto a wide street. Remains of an overturned cart were scattered about as the fires were beginning to spread into the area. A small well was near the center of the clearing, surrounded by a few homes. But what drew their attention was the gargantuan armored skeleton monster pulling its sword back to strike. Alduin mustered all the speed he had and lunged ahead. He reached out with his cane and struck the Stalfos's blade away just. The monster responded by swinging its heavy shield into Alduin and sending him flying into a nearby building. Osmond wasted no time, though, jumping in and slashing at the bone legs as he ran by. He spun around and slashed across the Stalfos's chest next, turning a few of its ribs into dust. The Stalfo screamed, and his eyes flared. Are you all right? Osmond asked without looking over. The boy is hurt, and he can't run. The young blonde maiden responded. Get to cover. We can handle this. Osmond sidestepped an attack and swung his blade around, striking the shield. The Stalfos then lowered its shoulder and knocked Osmond backwards. As he fell, the jagged blade swung down towards him. Just before it hit, though, Alduin parried it away with another hit. Same as before, though, the Stalfo turned its next attack on the middle-aged scholar. Osmond raised his own sword, though, and together they knocked the Stalfos backward. His head is their weak point, Alduin said, breathing heavily. If you can keep that sword and shield busy, I can poke at its head with my cane until it falls away. Right. The Stalfos raised its shield as Osmond stepped up towards it. Osmond attacked, striking the shield. He had to react quickly, though, dodging to one side as the Stalfos swung its sword down at him with vicious speed. When it pulled the sword back up for an attempted second strike, though, Osmond saw his opening. He kicked the monster's shield, then dove to its sword's side. With precision speed, he drove his blade into its ribs and struck the spine. A horrible screech went out from the creature's mouth, and its eyes burst with red light. Then they were extinguished as Alduin's cane slammed down onto it. The Stalfos dropped its weapon and shield, fell to its knees, then dissolved into a fine black mist. Good work, Alduin smiled. The maiden and boy emerged from behind the small well. As soon as they did, though, 
Osmond and Aldwin dropped to their knees, realizing who they had saved. Your grace! The princess was covered in dirt and soot from all the fires and was hardly recognizable at first. But in the light, and without Astolfos attacking them, her features revealed themselves. We must get you to the castle with your family, your grace, Aldwin said. No. Zelda shook her head. I want to fight and defend my home. I will not run and hide as my father and mother have done. Osmond looked at Aldwin, hoping for some sort of clarity. Your Grace, we were ordered by Lord Kalia to help in the search to find you and to help get you back to the castle. The knights and soldiers can take care of this mess. The knights and soldiers that were trained by the sleepy and out-of-practice superiors that know nothing of combat. I was trained by Lady Impa, the only member of the royal staff to have actually seen combat. It is my duty to... A cacophony of screeches rose up around them. Osman frantically looked around, and the boy clung to him. Aldwin, go, quickly. We must get to the castle. Osmond lifted the boy up as Aldwin and Zelda began to run ahead. Just as they exited the small clearing, though, three monsters stood in their way. Each of these dark entities were covered in heavy, black armor and wielded a massive sword that matched. Two horns wrapped their way out from the sides of each helmet. Their faces were shielded as well, save for the small eyelets where vile yellow eyes stared out. Aldwin, Zelda, and Osmond began to move back towards the square. As soon as they turned around, though, half a dozen more Stalfos had gathered near the wrecked cart. Osmond, we take the boy and the princess, run back the way we came. Do not stop. Do you understand? What about do as I say? Alduin, go! Alduin charged forward at the Stalfos. He struck away one blade before cracking his fist into one of their heads. As the next sword came towards him, he ducked down and slammed his cane into the legs of another. Osmond took the princess by the wrist and began to move towards the alleyway that was open and that they had come through earlier. However, as he began to move, she resisted. He turned to make sure she was all right. What are you doing? I have a duty to defend this kingdom. She pulled the bow off her shoulder and quickly readied an arrow. Come on, Osmond urged watching the three dark nuts approaching. Zelda fired an arrow into the mass of Stalfos and struck one in the shield. She cursed and readied another arrow. Again, it fell harmlessly off one of their shields. Princess, we have to go, now! She glared at him and drew another arrow. What are you doing? Run! Alduin yelled. Your grace, you have to... Aldwin's voice was cut short. Osmond felt like time stopped as he slowly turned his head and watched the jagged sword burst out of the back of his mentor. A flow of crimson rushed down Aldwin's back as the color in his face faded. His body began to drop as the Stalfos withdrew its sword and the blades of two other monsters tore into his flesh. His eyes stared emptily back at Osmond, the princess, and the boy. Osmond set the boy down. 
the mob of Stalfos began marching forward, stomping on Aldwin's corpse as they advanced. A muffled scream was shouting Osman's name, but nothing could take his eyes off the horror that had befallen his mentor, his friend. Osmond! Huron's booming voice broke through the haze just in time to draw Osmond's eyes over his shoulder. One of the dark nuts had its behemoth blade raised up over its head and was beginning to bring it down on the princess. Only instinct kicked in, a flash of metal, as Osmond raised his blade up and deflected the attack. The monster's blade knocked the sword from Osmond's grip. He was defenseless. The princess stumbled backward and pulled the boy from harm's way. Osmond then felt the armored back hand of the darknut swing upward and into him. A loud, snapping sound, followed by a cool sensation of air blowing all around him. When he landed on the ground, mere feet from the princess and the boy, he reached his hand outward weakly. His vision blurred and his head ringing relentlessly. He wasn't certain of what came next. Huron landed between the princess and the dark nuts, swinging a mighty hammer. Fado leapt off the Goron's shoulders and urged the princess and boy towards cover. Azora then dashed over and laid her hands on Osmond. By the grace and love of Nehru, I bless thee. One last image of a great bird in the sky beaming with holy light, chasing away the demons played out in the air above. Then, darkness set in. <laughs>